The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 114 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm your host, George Reedus. I want to emphasize that all opinions expressed in the show are my own and not my president or past employers. I will never disclose any sensitive intelligence that I've been privileged to as a result of my current employment. I will never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government, and nothing I say during this show should be construed as legal or financial advice. So before we get started, remind our listeners, you can go online to the Cybersecurity Hub and read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at their very cool website, www.cshub.com. The Cybersecurity Hub is an online news source for global cybersecurity professionals and business leaders who leverage technology and services to secure their networks. The media professionals at the Cybersecurity Hub are dedicated to providing the latest industry news, thought leadership, and analysis in the cybersecurity space. So again, to check out our recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news, go to the Cybersecurity Hub at CSHub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at CSHUB.com. So Merry Christmas, everybody. Happy New Year and happy holidays to everyone out there. It's an exciting time of year. Um, I really hope everybody is enjoying it. They're getting to spend some time with their families and their friends and people they love. And taking some time off from work, of course, that's very important. I think we work way too hard here in the United States. I know that. I know people need to take some time to re-energize themselves and charge their batteries. So, and especially here in New York City, it's such a beautiful time of year. And the whole city is lit up. The lights are on and it's been snowing lately on a few nights. So it's making it really feel like that special time of year. And it's just so nice out there. So God bless you and your families. And thank you for listening to Task Force 7 Radio. Merry Christmas. So we've had a, a great show last week with Samir Sharif on. And we posted an encore episode last week with Gary McGraw as well. And all this was on the same topic. And, you know, Samir came in to talk about application security. And the, uh, the encore episode was also about application security as well with Gary. And we also spoke about national uh, application security and its importance to the national security of the United States and many other countries, uh, quite frankly. So the episode was very, very important. So application security expert Samir Sharif joined us on episode 113 to unpack this very complex domain and explain in ordinary terms why listeners should be interested and concerned about application security. Samir was an incredible guest. I, I, I thought he was awesome. I got a lot of great feedback uh, from all my friends about him. A lot of people know Samir in the industry. He's very well known. So everybody was you know, just hitting me up, telling me that it was an awesome show. And he provided his opinion on whether or not organizations are prioritizing and funding application secu uh, security properly, which I was very interested to hear his opinion on. And he described the challenges of creating a convergent culture in cybersecurity operations, which is a huge problem around patching. And he also opined on whether or not engineers in the technology space 
should continue to be in charge of, of patching operations across the lines of business. So all in line with, you know, some of the biggest material threats that the largest companies out there are experiencing in the marketplace. So Mr. Sharif also explained what it takes to be an application security engineer. And I'm sure that many of our listeners out there will find that very interesting because, you know, they're trying to navigate this very complex industry and any advice that they can get to help them save time and money and, and get to where they, they want to go and manage their career is very helpful. You also talk about the status of talent available to fill ASM roles across the industry and how companies should manage the risk of running development shops in countries that we don't necessarily trust. <laughs> this is a big problem. So, you know, we're always keeping it real here on Task Force 7 Radio. So if you missed last week's episode, please check it out. You won't regret it. The application security expert was Samir Sharif. He was on last week's episode, and that's episode number 113 of Task Force 7 Radio. Well, if you're listening to us live on Voice America right now, maybe someone just sent you the link to this episode, and maybe you're just wondering how you can listen to all the previous Task Force 7 Radio episodes on playback, just go to our new TF7 Radio site at www.tf7radio.com and hit the episode tab at the top of the homepage, and you can find all the TF7 Radio episodes at your fingertips. You can also search our guest library, which is a most impressive list of some of the most prolific cybersecurity professionals in the world. And of course, we have our news section as well, where you can check out all the latest cybersecurity news and news on Task Force 7 Radio. You can even write comments on the different articles and news topics, and you know, we can stay and talk and interact with the people that also listen to Task Force 7 Radio. So that's always very cool and a lot of fun. We're on at least a dozen, a dozen different playback mediums, wherever we are, folks. You just Google us. You, you can't miss us. And we've made it super simple for you to find them all if you go to our website. Just hit the subscribe button at the top of right of the homepage, and you will see your entire selection of playback mediums. And most importantly, you can subscribe to our show right from the TF7 radio website, which is the best way to stay connected to the TF7 family. So check us out, folks, www.tf7radio.com to hear any of our episodes at your convenience, 24-7, 365, anywhere, anytime around the globe. And as always, whatever you do, don't forget to subscribe. We love it when you subscribe. Yes, we do. So this evening, we have a very, very cool show for you. It's a very cool show, right? And I think uh, you're really going to enjoy it. We have former Secret Service agent, the current Chief Security Officer of Siena, and a sometime co-host of Task Force 7 Radio. If you listen to the show, you've heard him on here before. Andy Benello is going to be with us tonight to talk about his journey in becoming a CISO. And I have to tell you, folks, I've known Andy for a long time, and it's a very, very cool story. Um, you're going to like it. So I've, I've been blessed to have Andy in my life for some time now. He is my business partner. He's one of my best friends in the world. Uh, and he's also the co-founder of Task Force 7. And he also co-hosts a show for, with me from time to time and helps out and uh, gives me a break sometimes when I need it, when I'm, when I'm either busy or I just need a break, that kind of thing. So uh, he's, been, uh, he's been my partner in crime for some time now, and he does a great job on this show. Uh, currently, he is the Chief Information Security Officer of Siena. He brings 20 years of security and risk management experience to the show, so we love that. And before joining Sienda, he was the global head of information security at AIG, where he built and led all threat detection and response capabilities, as well as helping transform AIG's cybersecurity underwriting model. How cool is that? So prior to AIG, Andy was the director of cybersecurity strategy at Verizon Communications, where he held multiple roles, including 
chairman of the Communications Information Sharing and Analysis Center. And he also served as a special agent with the United States Secret Service. We're going to talk about him. I want to talk about that a lot with him this evening. And that's where actually we met. We actually met in the Secret Service Academy a long time ago. And Andy was involved in some of the largest cybercrime investigations in Secret Service history. So we're going to touch upon that and, and gain from his valuable experience in that space as well. Andy holds a bachelor's degree in criminal justice from St. Anselm College. He taught the first cybersecurity classes at Harvard and MIT. He has appeared on NBC's The Today Show to talk about cybersecurity. And he is globally recognized as an expert in cybercrime and incident response. So it's time to welcome to the show, former Secret Service agent, Chief Information Security Officer of Siena, and sometime co-host of Task Force 7 Radio, Mr. Andy Benello. Andy, welcome to the show. Bob, man, it's good <laughs> to be here, George. It's nice to be on the other side of the mic this time. You know, who, who'd have thought we'd been doing this when we were walking down the fence line at the Salt Lake Games? <laughs> oh <my laughs> the MP5s thinking <laughs> we'd be on the radio talking cyber, huh? <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I look at each other wondering if these guns even work in this weather. <laughs> yeah, someone Everything's comes over frozen, this fence line. man. Yeah, someone comes over this fence line. Oh, boy, it's going to be funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to see you, brother. Yeah, it's good to see you. So, look, we got a lot to talk about. I'm excited to, uh, to actually be talking about your background and your journey here. And I know that you came from some very humble beginnings, and you had to learn how to survive out there. You had to learn, learn how to survive on the street. You had to learn how to survive uh, work in the street, and then you had to learn how to survive in, in, in the boardroom, and, uh, and it, you learned how to pivot your whole life, and your whole life you're just constantly pivoting to get to where you are, managing your career the right way and, and making the right decisions for the right reasons all the time. So tell us about your journey growing up on the streets and, and, and then working in the streets and eventually becoming a, a CISO. Tell us all about it. Yeah, man. It's been interesting. You know, when people look at my resume, they go, how did you end up here? <laughs> right? <laughs> yes. like it's always a, you just see the look on their faces, right? You know, you know I, I grew up in a small city in Connecticut. You know, we, we, you know, I had great loving parents and a great support system around me. But, you know, I was surrounded by, you know, gangs and drug deals. And, you know, the only people that had any money around me were cops and, and drug dealers, right? So, uh, it, you know, kind of had that fork in the road very early on. You know, I lost some friends, you know, growing up to, to some gang violence. And, you know, so it was very, you know, those life lessons were, were front and center, right? And you realize early on that the decisions you make <laughs> every day, you know, have an effect, right? And uh, so I started early on. I had to write guidance from, from my parents, thank God. Um, and, you know, that, that inspired me to kind of want to do something bigger than myself. And that took me down the law enforcement path. And, you know, I went to, went to college in uh, St. Anselm College in New Hampshire and studied criminal justice. Um, and, you know, learned, I had some access to, to things there in terms of internships that set the stage for my career uh, at the Capitol Police in D.C. And um, from there, you know, I always wanted to work undercover for the DEA. Like I had two career goals I wanted. One, I wanted to, I wanted to win the Cy Young Award, which, you know, <laughs> which, which, as you know, you know, at 5'8 five, 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 uh, on a good day. Right, you know, <laughs> probably not setting the stage for that career that, that goal to happen uh and then uh you know the undercover one sit, fit well because you know growing up i understood how to interact with people from all walks of life the different issues how to walk into a different room and and kind of blend in 
And when I got to Capitol Hill as a police officer, you know, I was surrounded with some of the most powerful people in the world, some of those powerful business people in the world and had to navigate a very gray policing area, right? Most cops, you know, are uh, stolen cars, you know, guns and drugs, right? And, and that's kind of the, you know, the typical deal on the street. You know, Capitol Police, you had that, but then you also had this gray area of working with the, um, you know, very elite politicians, businessmen and women in an environment that, you know, black and white policing wasn't really, um, you know, a, a good model, right? You had to find a way to have some nuance and influence and, 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 and kind of be a chameleon to some extent. And, and that's where I got exposure to the Secret Service and, you know, all the protection visits that came up there. And got to the Secret Service and realized, like, you know, I just love the dual mission. Um, and then, as you know, we, uh, you know, we had a lot of success in cybercrime investigations that made that transition as we were tracking criminals around the world. Um, and as they went through their progression from being on the street to leveraging the Internet, that's where we, you know, started to have success, right? And that's how I made that pivot into, uh, into cyber. And then once we got into, into cyber, you know, that understanding how to survive outside the government and operate in a business environment. And, you know, I really leveraged my time, um, you know, at the Capitol Police and at, at the Secret Service as interacting with the you know, world's most powerful people. You know, you, you start to understand what people in a boardroom care about, what it's like to be them. Um, and so I just took that time. And it was very strategic about each move. Um, I had great mentors like yourself, right, who we talk all the time consistently around making moves. What does it mean for you, you and your family? Does it work for you? Um, but the lessons I learned on the street in terms of how to interact with people, how to have a sense of confidence, know when you're outmatched and when you're not, um, and how to na- use that, that skill set to navigate your career. Isn't that so important? I mean, you learn how to talk to people real quick when you're surrounded by three guys who want to hurt you. You do, uh, right? Yeah, you do. You learn real fast. And, uh, you know, those skill sets that you develop as a police officer are really just invaluable when it comes to, you know, uh, uh, corporate, uh, private uh, life. You know, so I think, um, you know, it's these lessons are well taken. Now, you made the transition from the government to the private sector pretty seamlessly, I think. I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but what was the key to making that transition successful? How did you do it? Well, I appreciate the, 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 the external view, right? That you think it was seamless and I, I appreciate that. And, and <laughs> it was thoughtful in the transition, uh, but it was a process, right? And, and I, I know you experienced it as well and you've, you've done the same. And so, you know, for me, it, I knew at a certain point that I wanted to leave the government because I could see where my career was headed based on the things I was exposed to, uniquely exposed to in the Secret Service and where it could take me. Um, and some of that I attribute, you know, to our relationship, right? You, you made the jump, you, you exposed me to the things that were going on. Um, and I was able to, to start to process that for myself. But it was a couple of year journey before I had the right fit for me to set myself up for success. I saw a lot of my colleagues who were frustrated in the government because you couldn't innovate or budgets weren't there or the travel was too much or their family situation changed, whatever the reason or driver was for them to leave. Ultimately, you know, a lot of people wanted to come back once they left because they didn't think through why they were leaving and where they were going. They were just unhappy, so they wanted to make a change. I took the approach of, I recognize what I have. So even if I'm a little unhappy in the current situation, I still work, you know, 
at the biggest law best biggest brand and secret or you know, the secret service in law enforcement, right? I'm still working on really cool things. Like at some point, you got to take a step back and recognize what I'm doing makes is making a difference, even if it's not working out for me exactly the way I want it, right? And I if losing that has a negative impact. And I saw where people fail because they didn't go to environments where they had colleagues that were in like-minded situations. So for instance, my first jump from the government to Verizon, I went to their risk team, as you're familiar with the data breach investigations report, all the data, the investigations that populate that, that's where I went. And it was filled with a lot of men and women who had been in the military, had been in law enforcement. So I walked into another environment in the private sector that had the same small group, small unit dynamic, still had that tactical mindset, still mission driven. It just happened to be surrounded by a business as opposed to the government. So that was the key to me making the jump. And then I had to learn how to survive, you know, in the business world as I did that. And that just took a little time being there. You know, what do, I want to ask you, what did you think about critical decision-making in the corporate sector as compared to the government? Because I know when I got to, to corporate and I saw some of the hysteria that was going on over some of the most basic decisions that needed to be made uh, around um, mostly all business decisions around you know, what do you want to shut off the website or you, how long you want to shut it down or who should you notify and when, what should you do? And the, and the angst and sort of uh, stress that came with that, it's all kind of relative because I thought back to myself, well, just a few months ago, you know, a few years ago, and that's in that, in that situation. I mean, I was in charge of a barricaded gun in situation with a person in charge of a, you know, a person in a house holding three hostages with a long gun in his hand. And, you know, I was telling people what to do and it was making life and death decisions out there. And, and now I'm seeing this and I'm just like, everybody just calm down for a second, right? Just calm down. Did you see that when your transition? Did you see, I mean, cause it helps tremendously because you're able to stay calm. You're able to make, especially if you're in an incident response situation, crisis management situation, I just thought that those were incredible skills that translated very well back into the corporate sector. Absolutely. You know, I, I look, I mean, we went to Beltsville together, right? We were, you saw how I reacted. I saw how you reacted, right. For, for, you know, and you can't hide that personality, right. You know, to some extent you either have it or you don't. Right. And then for those then, people that don't know Beltsville is where the secret service Academy is. That's right. Sorry about that. And, and what's interesting to me is I saw it very consistently because I would say, man, there's nothing in the business world that's as stressful as anything we dealt with in law enforcement. Like, why is everybody freaking out? And it's just because they weren't trained, right? And we talk about that, right? Trained versus untrained. Um, they're, they're worried about making decisions about are they going to lose their job? My bonus could be impacted. What's the impact of my family? Um, you know, we never thought about those things, right? Because we just thought about, am I going to go home tonight? Is my partner going to go home tonight? Right. And so when you don't think about the money, you don't think about the business side of it, we're used to making critical decisions um, that impact life or death and not so much dollars and cents. And uh, I noticed that's just a, a, a huge skill that folks in first responder, military, um, you know, law enforcement positions have that carry over and are very make you very successful when you get to the business world because you can operate teams at all levels in crisis situations under extreme stress because you are in much more stressful situations where you came from. So I've also seen the opposite. You know, obviously you and I know a lot of people who've transitioned from the government into the private sector and have been very successful. But I also know a few people who have failed miserably and on a grand scale and very publicly as well. Yep. Um, what, what, what advice would you give government folks who are looking to make the transition? You know, I think you've got to start with 
recognizing that wherever you go, you need to mentally be ready for that challenge and recognize that you need to surround yourself with people or at least one person that understands you where you came from and can help you make that. I, I've hired a number of folks, um, you know, from the government as I've translated, you know, and transitioned. And there's usually a point in their career in the government where it's around 10 to 12 years, right? They've been successful in every role. And when they're looking to come out, they're at that pivot point where do I leave or do I stay? And you got to really, and it starts in that interview process and make sure that your boss, wherever you're going, understands that there's a transition that you have to make and that they're the right fit for you. And you've got to find that. I think people just make the leap because there's some external pressure and they forget where they are and how valuable the positions that they're currently in, um, you know, are. Because once you leave, and you and I talk about this all the time, like, look at your brand, look at your resume and the logos, right? Is there a clear progression? I think people are making career decisions and they're jumping backwards in an attempt to move forward and then it's hurting them, right? Because it's not, they're not parallel moves. And so the transition has to be all about the mindset and surrounding yourself with people that understand that transition has to happen and that they're okay with you making it. Um, and you can't freak out, right? There's a, I see it a lot and I did it. You, I can point back to certain times in my career where I start to freak out a little bit, come out of a meeting and man, man, they're just not getting it or, you know, and you can tell I've seen it in other people I've hired and I know exactly where they are. Right. But what helped me make the transition was I had someone pull me aside and say, okay, here's what you're thinking. Let that go. If things are okay. Right. You're not getting fired today. Right. And you've got to have people that understand it. So you got to surround yourself with the right group. Yeah. And I, I got to tell you, I, I think part of the problem with the people who don't make the transition is the way they deal with people, the way they talk to people, and even when they make those decisions, how they communicate and articulate you know, their thoughts to someone else. So, an example, you know, when I was a detective sergeant and we were you know, doing a high-risk entry, there was no conversation about what we were going to do, right? I told yeah. you what you're, you're going to do, and, you're, and you did it. You know, it was, that, that's, that was it. If, if, you know, when I was a police officer, when I first started, you learn that quick, you're out in the street, you're with your training officer, your training officer tells you what to do. You do it. I did what, what my training officer told me to do. There wasn't a discussion about, Hey, what do you think the best course of action is for this? Now in, in, in corporate, those life and death decisions don't really exist. I mean, I guess there could be theoretically one somewhere down the road, but for the most part, it's, it's not the same culture. You're not in the same situation. And you really have to deal with people differently. And actually, you know, getting everybody's opinion on some of these problems is always the best course of action, in my opinion. And, it, I, you know, right? and so but I, the, the biggest failure was, for these military guys especially, like, this is in Afghanistan. Park Avenue is not Afghanistan. Yep. You know? I mean, they, and they didn't, sometimes they didn't translate. There. And, and I mean, the other thing, too, man, is, uh, you know, we had very clear clarity of mission. Right. So when you said, hey, we're going, they knew what the stakes were. They knew what the mission was. People don't always understand the mission or have bought into the mission. And you have to influence them and explain the mission the way where they buy in. Right. And I think that's the other part where, you know, we were inherently in those roles where we understood the mission. It was very clear. And now the mission's very gray. And, and they may not interpret it the same way you do. So you've got to make sure everyone's on the same page. I tell my team all the time. If I look across the table from you and I ask you if you're good, 
I'm coming from an environment where you tell me you're good, that means you're willing, you know, you might die. Right. Right. And, and when I say you're good and you tell me you're good, I know you've thought through all the risks, whether it's whatever it may be within our current role. Right. And that you're okay with it. Right. Right. Like you say it's good. It means it's good. Not it's good. And I think eh, maybe it's okay. <laughs> right. No, it's good. And we're moving forward. And so that I level set that very early on with my teams because that's how I process, you know, the mission, right? You say you're good. That's what I'm coming from. You know, it reminds me of that movie in Den of Thieves when they, you know, they're in the, the I don't know if you, did you see that movie, Den of Thieves? I didn't, but you know, you're way more cultured than I am. <laughs> I love this movie. There, you know, at the end, the, these guys are, you know, running away from a bunch of cops and they corner them in this traffic jam. And he's in the front seat and he looks at his buddy and he just, you know, he basically looks at him and, and, and his buddy gives him the nod, like, I'm good to go. I know what's at stake. Basically what you just said. And there's a firefight that ensues and everything. And, you know, it's pretty dramatic ending of the movie, but I don't want to get into it too much in case people out there see it, you, but I, didn't see it I don't want to ruin it for you. <laughs> it's on the holiday break, you know, it's like the town, right? Whose car are we taking? Yeah, I, you would love it. You would love this movie. It's, it's you know, it's, it's got some... It's got some realistic moments in it. Obviously, it's a movie. And there's a lot of drama and, and made up stuff in there. But at some parts, it reminds you of some of the experiences you've had in real life when you've been put into uh, yes. some different situations. Now, you've had, you know, we talked uh, just a few minutes ago about all the things that kind of helped you get to where you are, where you grew up on the street, your parents, how you were brought up, the things you taught, the influences in your life. There's so many different things that got you into where you are today and prepared you for the job that you have today. But I want to ask you about the Secret Service specifically um, because the, the Secret Service provides uh, a, a unique experiences to people in my mind that you don't get anywhere else in any other job. And so I want to ask you, how did the Secret Service set the foundation for your career? Man, it's, it's so true. You know, there's just so many things there. I think the first thing is you know, they get you to buy into to something bigger than yourself, right? And if you've been in a fraternity, you've been on sports teams, right? Everyone understands that at a general concept. But when you get there, it's really embedded. And, you know, that carries through, I think, uh, for me, is one of the biggest things. Like everything I do, I've got to be, the team has to be bigger than me. Um, and that team could be, you know, the, 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 the team I'm on at work. It could be my family, um, whatever it may be, right? The other thing that I think it did was they give you, the Secret Service gives you an immense responsibility right out of the gate. You are um, handed a gun, go stand next to the most powerful people in the world, keep them safe, their families safe, the public safe. But then you're also the one who's doing the op plan for your undercover operation. You're also the one doing the tactical plan for your raid. Right. You're you're in charge of people's lives at a way that you aren't in, in other federal law enforcement agencies where they have um, you may only get an experience to run an op once or twice where for Secret Service. And we're doing that. That's the day. Right. You know, so I think giving you a lot of responsibility with that requires influencing people that requires you to switch between, you know, dealing with. Um, some hardcore criminals during the day. And then at night you could be at the white house or in Beverly Hills or wherever dealing with, you know, or somewhere in the world where you're dealing with the most powerful people. So you had to interact with such a broad range of folks, um, uh, intelligence, you know, whether it's EQ, IQ, um, different backgrounds, walks of life, influence them. I mean, 
man, it really gave me a set of skills uh, to give me the confidence to even think about making the transition out of the government into the private sector. And, and obviously exposing me to things that I would have never been exposed to coming out of the streets of Connecticut. All right, brother, we got to take a quick break to hear from some sponsors. But hey, folks, if you're a social media junkie, don't forget to follow TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and even Instagram by searching at TF7 Radio, and you'll be connected to the extended TF7 family. For any inquiries regarding sponsoring the show or suggestions for topics or guests, please email me directly at george.redis at tf7radio.com. That's george.redis at tf 7 that's with the number seven, radio.com. I want to remind our audience that we're building the world's premier cybersecurity professional network, Task Force 7. I'm really excited about this, folks. Tune in over the next several months for more information on this much-needed and much-awaited-for network. We're going to solve some problems together, I promise you. Task Force 7, get in the fight. We're going to pause some quick messages from our sponsors, and then we'll be right back with the Chief Information Security Officer of Siena, Andy Benillo. Whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. Email is having an identity crisis. It's just too easy for attackers to spoof trusted brands or even the government. That's why over 80% of email attacks are based on fake identities. The solution is to stop the fakes before they get to the inbox. That's why enterprises use Valley Mail. It's a trusted identity-based email security solution. Find out if your domain can be spoofed and request a complete free phishing analysis at valleymail.com. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., 
Cynet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Cynet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Cynet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Cynet, S-I-N-E-T. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest, a former Secret Service agent, and CISO of Siena, Mr. Andy Benello. So, Andy, I find myself using the motto of trust and confidence a lot because it makes a lot of sense in, in the world that we live in. How does the Secret Service motto of trust and confidence apply to cybersecurity in your mind? You know, it's funny, man. I was actually having this conversation with my team a couple of weeks ago. We, we brought it up, and I, I thought it was applicable because, you know, you know as, you're, as you're increasing maturity in your programs right, consistently, you've got to have – trust, you know, in each other, right? The same way we talked about in the first segment, right? You know, when you say you're going to do something, you're going to do it. And that applies outside of your immediate team and, and, and kind of into the rest of the rest of who you influence and interact with. Um, you know, the confidence in yourself, but also the, the company has to have confidence in the program that you're building in your cybersecurity capabilities. Right? I mean, it, you know, at the end of the day, like you're, the, you're that line of defense that they need to have full faith in. And whatever you say, when you make a statement, it's got to be meaningful. It's got to matter. Um, and so to me, the trust and confidence motto extends in the cyber really more into, you know, the people buying into the information security program that you're building. And that when you're saying, you know, something is an incident or if it's, you've got this certain exposure that they believe it, right? There's no hesitation, right? And I think that's the key. When they, they don't, they can't second guess what you're saying to them, they have to believe it because in a time of crisis, there's no time to, to doubt, right? Can't second guess anything. You got you to gotta be, yep, that's the information. Let's move forward. So there's a lot of things that I sort of tap, you know, on from my experience in the Secret Service. What are some of the things in your mind that the Secret Service preaches that sticks in your head, you know, every time you, when you're making decisions and everything, it comes sort of back to your training and your experiences there that, really help you be so successful in the job you have today? Yeah, I, I felt like, you know, we received a PhD in the Secret Service and things that you just can't go to school for. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and really, those are around a mindset and to some extent, a little bit of swagger, right, that you, you have, uh, Karen saying, yeah, I used to be an agent. And a, but it's really because there's a culture around, we have to win every day, right? We've got to put a 
360 degree bubble of protection that has to be deployed anywhere, anytime, in any environment. Um, you know, you have to be able to be proactive and not reactive. You know, the threat of attack has to be front and center in your mind. Um, you've got to be able to see danger before it happens. And, um, you know, I really think the biggest thing that they instill that sticks with me is you've got to be in a position to be creative, potentially do more with less and implement a security plan that competes with your stakeholders priorities typically. Um, and you do that through control detection and rapid response. Um, you know, as a coordinated, you know, method, but those are the things that stick out from a mindset perspective that, you know, we were exposed to that are front and center for me every day. It seems like to me, one of the, the, the biggest things of value is that we always were preparing for the worst case scenario and, and drilling against it, right. Or gaming against it. And in cybersecurity that translates very well because, very well. yeah, because I think, especially for CISOs, because I think CISOs today, shouldn't be judged on whether or not they just prevented a breach, but it's really what they did to react to the breach and how they uh, managed uh, the breach and the incident and how they got everybody back up and running. And, and, and that's where they really earn their money, I think. And if that fails as well, then, you, you know, you're looking at a problem, I think. And so I think, it, you know, that, so there's two, there's two parts of the Secret Service. They have two different missions. One is the uh, protection mission we talked a little bit about in the past, you know, the, 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 the um, you know, investigating uh, fraud and protecting critical infrastructures and financial critical infrastructure, uh, investigating computer crime, things like that. But then there's the protection mission and everybody sort of knows what that's about. What is the mindset that you take into protection? You know, it's really interesting around that concept because for me, it's, you know, not just the winning every day, but doing it in a way where it's other people's idea, right? Like you have to be able to influence um, during that planning and coordination phase, um, which is which is the part, by the way, that people don't see, right? People see the limo, right? The sunglasses, yep. the guys hanging out of the follow-up with the MP5s, right? They see all the cool tactical, the show, the circus, right? But what they don't see is the work that goes in the background, all the planning, all the coordination uh, that really is, um, I think, the, the secret to the secret service, right? Yeah, the advanced work. It's advanced work, right? It's all the things that you do leading up to it, all that preparation. And so um, for me, you know, that's the mindset we take in is you got to plan and prepare for a scenario of all types and understanding that you have to be able to prevent it at any point in the attack process, right? Which is, you know, you hear things like the kill chain and things like that. But, you know, you take something simple where, you know, take a fence jumper at the White House, right? You know, someone jumps the fence, they start, they think they got a little success, they start running towards the house, the White House, and then next thing you know, dogs and, you know, um, you know, tactical teams are, are all over it and they don't get too far, right? Um, you know, that's, that's really an example of like on the physical side, right? The mindset you have to have like, Hey, they won over the fence, but they didn't really accomplish their mission. Right. And as long as you can prevent that, that that's the goal. So you take that mindset and we've got to identify, pick it up wherever it may be and get it and kill it before it, you know, stop it before it, uh, they accomplish their goal. 
So it's interesting. I think this is where some of the thought process came around the kill chain. I don't think the kill chain is rocket science by any means, um, but it's really commonsensical. Yeah. And what it does is it takes it takes what happens in the kinetic world and in the process of an attack in the in the kinetic world and how people uh, prevent these attacks and sort of took it and say, hey, let me try to apply that to the cybersecurity space, you know, the information security space, and that's what they came up with, and. In a way, genius, right? In a way, genius, but in, in reality, it's just we've been doing it for years in other, uh, in other uh, verticals, just never applied it there. And it's just so commonsensical and, and useful, too. I think it's very useful. What do you think? It, it really is. I think there's a, um, you know, you can almost simplify it a bit more um, to make it a little less technical from a mindset perspective. Um, but from a you know, the technical path, right, it's extremely effective. Um, but I think, you know, one of the things that I like to, to think through, you know, think of it like this, right? You know, we were protecting the White House. The White House is almost like your corporate network, right? You got, you've got your crown jewels in there. You know where it is. You've got a fence, you got your perimeter around it. You've got a ton of resources to protect it. But as soon as the president gets in the motorcade, right, which is now your encrypted package, right, your hard car, it's encrypted, Right. And it's traveling down the motorcade route, which is in essence the internet with a bunch of guns pointed at it, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. And it's going to go to another environment. That other environment you don't control, right? And that's where the secret is, right? You've got to start to control that before you get there, right? And so if I think about some parallels, like you know, moving to the cloud, for instance, right? If you can move to the cloud and get there and get your security implemented before your data and your applications get there. Right. That's basically going from the White House to a ballroom in a hotel room. Hmm. Right. The is, this, is this why there's so many Secret Service agents in cybersecurity? Because the, the Secret Service approach to risk actually translates into the information security industry so well? I, I think so. And it's and, it, and we can understand how to translate it to the boardroom, right? Because in essence, you're you're taking a security plan that you're implementing with competing priorities, right? If you think about Secret Service wants to control everything and the, the stakeholders that you work with, whether it's the media, the traveling press, the local press, the, uh, the staff or the uh, host committee who's putting on the event or even the people who are paying $15,000, $20,000 for the event, right? They all want access. We, we right. don't want to give anybody access. So there's this competing priorities and demand and you have to implement this plan in the environment, making sure that they all get what they want out of it too. And that's where as you're building, you're moving data into the cloud or you're building new networks or you're, you're influencing, you know, infrastructure programs, whatever you might be doing, it's that ability to make the risk-based decision off of a set of facts and have, be comfortable with making those decisions because it's not always going to be, let's lock everything out and you don't get access. We're used to working in the gray. And I think that's where secret service stages of folks that have that risk management mindset can be successful, especially as digital transformation is happening all around us. You know, to get a little bit more prescriptive, you know, you, you mentioned in the break something about how your, your experience and protection actually translates to your ability to manage the migration to the cloud. <laughs> I, I thought that was kind of interesting. That's, the, that's a conversation that you and I have, have never had before. How, how, do you, how do you explain that? Tell me about that. So, yeah, if you think about it, right, so take that ballroom analogy, right? When you, Secret Service goes to a ballroom, right, they, they're going to go there. They say, okay, these are the areas of control that where this event may take place. And there's a whole bunch of different areas that points of presence that they need to deal with. 
And then there's a, no, a subset of that where the event is actually going to happen, where the president's going to move from point A to point B, from B to C, et cetera, and then go back out to the cars, right? So once you figure out those zones of control and you get rid of everything else around them and you know that those are sterile environments, you can then take those different avenues of, of movement and get rid of them and only focus on the areas that you absolutely need. So if you think about the move to the cloud, the cloud is when you, before you go, is a completely sterile environment. You've, you know, you've cleaned it out. Right? It's brand new. You set it up how you want. You can put your controls in place before anything, your servers, or your databases, whatever, get there. And if you take that mindset, then you can start to lock down all of the different ports and protocols and means of communication that you don't actually need for those applications to run in the cloud, right? And so you can start to shrink the attack surface in the cloud, but the key is to get there before. Most information security programs are built on top of existing infrastructures, right? So if you think about when you're coming in, you're walking in to build a program, you have to now retrofit what you're doing to things that are already happening. But a fresh move to the cloud is like the perfect place to start because you can implement what you want before you get there. The key is being able to do that instead of, otherwise you're going to end up in the same place you are, you know, when you will first walk into a company. So I want to talk a little bit, I want to switch gears here and I want to talk a little bit about the relationship between law enforcement. This is the other mission of, of the secret service and the corporate sector and working together to, to handle breaches. And it's really important, I think, for a lot of people. We've been preaching this. We've been evangelists uh, for, for the engagement of law enforcement on some of these issues for a very long time, uh, many, many years. Uh, and I think understanding the value of it is important. But I can, I can think of two senior executives who completely botched one of the most public breaches in the world. And one of the reasons they completely botched it is because they didn't know the value of engaging law enforcement or even how to do it. They didn't have the relationships in place. They didn't listen to the people that were advising them. And it turned out to be a disaster. And so, and they paid the price for it. But I think what it's so important to not only understand, hey, the value of engaging what they actually can offer, the, offer your company, but how to do it how to do it and how to develop those relationships beforehand because not every agency responds in the same way, knowing those nuances and so forth and so on. It's very important. It's very complex, but in, in some ways, very simple if you put your mind to it. What, what say you? Yeah. I mean, you have to understand who does what and what agency you need to work with in what, in, in what scenario, right? And it's got to be a pick up the phone call conversation, right? You can't. Yeah, that relationships already has to be built, right? It has to be built. You can't, you can't waste any time during a crisis doing it. Uh, it's all part of the proactive nature of it. But you really need to understand, you know, what type of cases are, you know, is the, the cyber intelligence section of the Secret Service working today? Who are they focused on? You know, what partners are internationally around the world are they dealing with? Um, you know, FBI cyber division, right? Who, what are they focusing on, right? You know, if, if I need to engage, um, you know, US CERT with a, a, you know, a request for technical assistance, how does that work? You know, if this is going to be a nation state sponsored type of thing that may fall into the classified world, am I going to call, what agency do I call? Do I call US CERT to engage NSA? Is it something that's going to be overseas? Like, there's a whole bunch of things, you know, then you have to be very comfortable as a company, right? Which is also the, the planning phases internally within your company to say, okay, what's our corporate position on this? Do we want to engage law enforcement and recognize that we are claiming to be a victim and that this could become public? Uh, take take the, uh, the Heartland case, right? We were going through Albert's case, right? When we got to sentencing up in Massachusetts, 
the we had a couple companies that were victims. They didn't lose any data, but the uh, network intrusions or the intrusions into their network were evidence as part of our conspiracy case, and they didn't have to disclose because they didn't have a regulatory you know data stolen or regulatory requirement to disclose. The judge at sentencing said, "I can't imagine a public company in the United States." not telling its board or its shareholders the risk to their data. They didn't have a reason to do it, you know, or being good corporate citizens by engaging. So you have to understand all of the risks when you do it and where the potential avenues could come out uh, to have a potential issue. That being said, uh, the benefits far outweigh, you know, the, 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 the bads, right? Because, Law enforcement, and you did this, George, you know, really well, and, and, I, and I leveraged this, some of the work that you did even, right? We were notifying victims of breaches before the companies were detecting it themselves, right? And in that process, you learn all of the different tactics that the bad guys are using at the time. And so you can really do a couple things. One, streamline your response where you're going to save a ton of money, a ton of resources, and have way more context around what's happening to you and why. Uh, and then two, right, it helps you position the, the dialogue, right, in your crisis communications. I'm engaging law enforcement as a company. We care about your data. Um, let me create new security solutions to make my industry better than, you know, than it was before we got breached, right? So there's a whole communications plan that st- sits around just being engaged with law enforcement um, on top of the tactical benefits of having the intelligence, leveraging him as a partner to get data that you can't get on your own, um, and all those sorts of things. So yeah, the, the value's there for sure. So what do you think? I mean, you've, you've worked some of the biggest investigations in the world. I mean, w- w- whether it's with the Secret Service or whether it's Verizon on their incident response team and, and, and leading those investigations. What are some of the biggest lessons you've learned in working these investigations? What do you take away from, like, what are the biggest talking points? The biggest thing has to be you as a company have to understand how you want, what's your corporate culture and how do you make decisions? Some companies rule by committee uh, and other companies have that one single point of, you know, chain of command, like one commander that says, here's what we're going to do. Regardless of what your company is and how you, you need to understand that and be comfortable with it and understand the time delays or uh, in the cadence at which you're going to make decisions to move forward. The other thing that I saw in most of the major breaches is they didn't have a true crisis commander, you know, so they didn't right. have one person. Um, even if you make decisions by committee, they didn't have that one person that was in charge to then inform a larger business entity body to then make business decisions. Right. So just really having not just the plan, but having that one person who's accountable, that's in charge that says, yep, we're going to go do it. Those are the biggest things that I saw. Um, and then having that, that plan work through from the top down, um, because ultimately it's about speed and, and, you know, I always say detection equals control. And, you know, if you can detect things, um, and not have to be notified by a third party, you know, you now control the cadence at which you respond, your timing to communication, how your crisis communication plan is now formed, how public opinion is formed of you. Um, there's so many things. Uh, but those are the biggest things. So, right, top-down decision-making, cadence to which you respond and how you make decisions as a group. Are we willing to be a victim in the public eye? And, um, you know, how do we want to engage law enforcement? All right, brother, we got to take another short break to hear from our sponsors. But don't go away, folks. 
We'll be right back with the Chief Information Security Officer of Siena, Mr. Andy Vanello. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. Email is having an identity crisis. It's just too easy for attackers to spoof trusted brands or even the government. That's why over 80% of email attacks are based on fake identities. The solution is to stop the fakes before they get to the inbox. That's why enterprises use Valley Mail. It's a trusted identity-based email security solution. Find out if your domain can be spoofed and request a complete free phishing analysis at valleymail.com. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Signet, S-I-N-E-T. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. 
Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest, the Chief Information Security Officer of Siena, Andy Benillo. So, we were talking about cases that you were, if we mentioned the Secret Service and Verizon uh, both, um, but you were part of some of the largest cases in Secret Service history in terms of cybersecurity investigations. What was the key to success in those investigations? What do you think was the thing that propelled you to getting the, the, the positive end outcome that you were looking for? You know, I think we, we built teams that were diverse, that had a different set of skills, and we all checked our ego at the door, right? We were very focused on the mission, on the case. You know, we had people brought in legal, finance, some folks that were tactical that didn't have a cyber background but were amazing street investigators, folks that had computer forensics background. And you put all that in a room with a lot of data, and quite frankly, you know, we built off of, you know, the successes of the people that came before us, like yourself, like Operation Firewall was a huge, as you know, right, largest intelligence gathering, you know, financial sector intelligence gathering mission ever, um, set the stage for a lot of the investigations that are still happening today, um, of which I was the benefit of. So, you know, there's a combination of, you know, building off of um, things that happened before you, right, and taking the approach that it's a marathon, not a sprint. Most law enforcement investigations, like at the, the local level, the people are right there in front of you, right? You got a drug deal that's happening in front of you. It's a sprint to make that happen. A lot of the transnational cybercrime investigations, they're a marathon, right? You might have a piece of information that you collect four years ago that might mean something now, right? And you've got to be comfortable as a team and as an agency um, with seeing the benefits down the road and not so much like what's right in front of you. Um, and so those are the biggest cases, the biggest successes I thought were checking the ego at the door, being open and honest ourselves about our tactical and our approach, having the buy-in from the executive team to make sure that we have the clearance and runway to let these things happen and let them play out over extended periods of time, um, and buying into um, the, the long-term vision. So have you had trouble finding any talent to build these teams? I mean, what do you think about the talent shortage and how that's playing out? For me personally, George, I got to be honest, like I think it's more of a skill gap than a talent issue for me. Um, you know, now I see it in the industry, obviously, right? Uh, for me personally, you know, I've been able to build teams and build them fairly quickly because I've started relationship building very early on. One of the things that I do is as I come across talent through my career, I've started to like, flag them for myself and say, okay. I know that this person, and I start tracking their career, they were mentored by somebody in particular who I respect. Let's see how this person progressed. And then I literally, George, I'll cold call people who I haven't talked to in years and say, hey, you may not remember me. However, I'm over here. I'm building this thing. I've got my elevator pitched down, and I'm selling them on, you know, uh, to some extent, a startup mentality and say, I know what, who you are, what you do in your background. Do you want to come work for me? And I think the taking that very personal, customized approach to each individual that I, I try to bring onto the team has bared, has bared really good fruit. So my last place, I hired, I think, 42 out of 45 people in eight months um, off of my own Rolodex and then just cascading down from my team and their Rolodex once I brought them in. No external recruiter, no HR support. Um, so for me, Right. I've been lucky because of the approach I've taken. Um, and for me now, it's really a matter of you know, getting the right skills and being committed to the people that we bring in and the environments we have to have to make sure that they can grow to, to 
pivot on skills as the, the, the programs change. So what are some of the traits that you look for in, in folks when you build your team? Now, I know you have, obviously, there's different domains in cybersecurity and you're building a team that has a lot of different skill sets and you're looking for a, a, a bunch of different, uh, a bunch of different uh, traits in, in people. But, you know, in general, are there yeah. traits that apply to every single person that go across your team? How's that work? Yeah, it's funny. You know, I, I hadn't thought of it this way before, but my boss, my current boss, Craig Williams, who's uh, actually just nominated as a finalist for Global CIO of the Year. So he's an amazing leader and he positions things as uh, PhDs, look for passion, heart, and drive. And, you know, as I dissect that, it's really what we've been talking about, right? And, and kind of how that same mindset was in the Secret Service. People that buy into the mission, they're willing to put the team before themselves. Um, they're willing to be flexible um, in the roles that they take and how their roles can change over time and not pigeonhole themselves and be comfortable with moving, you know, around to, to meet the goals of the organization. So for me, you know, you take that and you throw critical thinking on top of it, being able to manage people and stress in crisis situations, um, clear, concise communication, uh, being comfortable building relationships and, and influencing others, and on also being able to take criticism and feedback. You know, there's no room in our world for, um, you know, kind of that snarkiness, right? I always got to be right. I've got to be the smartest person in the room, right? You got to check your ego, recognize that you may be wrong, or be, at least be open to having the conversation to hearing someone else's opinion and that you could be wrong and, you know, and being able to recognize it, change your opinion and move forward. Um, it's just times of the essence, right? So those are the big things I look for. Um, and it's, I think it's served me well. So it's passion, heart, and drive. I think that's going to stick with people. I mean, the PhD, yeah. I mean, that stuck with me already. I'm going to remember that. I think that's probably going to take one of the biggest things I'm going to take away from this episode. Um, last question. What gaps do you think exist in the talent crisis right now? I think the biggest thing is the mindset, right? People need to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Um, as we are going through the digital transformation the skills needed to be effective um, have to change. And as every company is going through transformation efforts, whether it's because of financial reasons or um, because of the digital transformation and because of technology is changing, people need to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Um, and that to me is the, the biggest gap. People are kind of stuck in their ways to some extent, don't want to, don't want to believe that the world around them is changing. And it is. And we need to recognize it and be okay with it. Um, and I think, there, you know, there's one other key thing that I like people to take away is they, they also need to, as they're going through this evaluation of how they're going to transform with this transformation, you need to find the right people to give you the right advice. People are getting, I think, the wrong advice at the wrong time in their career, and they need to start getting the right advice at the right time. Um, and that's not, that's not a hard thing to do. All right, Andy, I really appreciate you being with us. Merry Christmas to you and your family. And I'll hope to see you again soon. I appreciate you, man. Thank you. Always. Before we go, I remind our listeners, you can visit the Cybersecurity Hub to read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at www.cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. 
To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.